Howdy, howdy, podcast fans. I'm here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello there, Mom. Oh, hi, Andrew. <laughs> oh, you're something else. I like the howdy, howdy this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of a little prescient uh, because uh, very soon, if we get this podcast out on time, you will be sharing some of your wisdom at South by Southwest, which is in Austin, Texas. So, a you know, little howdy, howdy. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about about what you like so much about South by Southwest and it's, being there well, and presenting. Well, actually, I'm a mentor this time, and what's nice is I get to sit one on one or in a small group, and people ask me questions, and I'm able to just answer specific things that are interested in. And I'm going to be selling my book. They already have my book there. And uh, your book, which is called "Define Your Why." (laughs) (laughs) I will always help you plug. Oh, this is so funny. You're so cute. And um, my next guest that you're going to be talking about is actually going to be there also. So it's going to be fun. I'm going to have a good time with a lot of the fun people. It's a wonderful uh, venue. Uh, it's the South by Southwest education side. and that, But there are people from all over the world and uh, amazing presentations. It's and where are the dates this year? March 5th through the 8th. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about your next talk with, is it PJ Brady? Oh my gosh. PJ, well, one, he lives in Belgium. We had to find a time that worked. And um, it was, we talked twice because it was fun to get to know him. He is, uh, I think around your age, Andrew, and he reminds me of you. It's just, Mm -hmm. he's so genuine and he's uh, taught leadership did leadership training all over Europe and all over in Africa and all over. But when he had three kids, he has three daughters, he realized he could use some of the things he was doing with the leadership training for the kids. Yeah. And he it's called How to Raise Brave, Smart, and Kind Kids. And he started what they call the BSK movement. And every time I was talking to him, I didn't want it to end. He's just... He's so brilliant and so much fun, and his book is just wonderful. I just can't wait to share share everything he's shared with me, and people follow him. He's just wonderful. Stay tuned, everybody, for your two authors, one of Define Your Why and one of Brave, <laughs> Smart, and Kind Children. This conversation with Barbara Bray and PJ Brady. Well, I got a real special episode for you. <laughs> I am so happy. PJ Brady, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, it, honestly, we should do more videos of podcasts because I'm grinning ear to ear. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here, too. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, it's really fun when we can see each other because <laughs> I, I tell everyone it's like you're on my virtual porch. So I kind of try to make it like that. I love it. I'm visualizing. Okay, so beautiful. I'm I'm just I've been reading everything about you and your book, and uh, so I want to just introduce you to my audience. So I'm going to boast a little. Okay, <laughs> I, I'll sit here humbly and blush. Okay, <laughs> all right, PJ. That's Patrick. Mm-hmm. Patrick John. 
Okay, I just want to make sure I got the right, because I know you only as PJ. And I went, wait a minute, I better figure out his real name. Okay, PJ (laughs) Brady. And you started the Brave Start Smart Kind as foundational core values. I love that. Brave, smart, and kind. I started to say start because I said start for it, but it's smart. (laughs) (laughs) A little different. It was a way to teach English to your daughters. Is that yeah, yeah, because I live in Belgium. Um, they speak Dutch at school, that's their first language. They speak French with my wife, and I'm the sole person responsible for the English language, which is terrifying. And uh, <laughs> I, I got to I get to define anything that I want with any words that I want with my girls. So yeah, that's where I started. And and that's what you did. You wanted to redefine the word beautiful to mean something that described how people feel on the inside, something to help them develop confidence, something they could control. Oh, mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait till people listen to this and listen to your story because it's so wonderful. Thank you for being here, PJ. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for sharing and for your time and for sharing your audience, obviously. Uh, for your listeners, uh, she cares so much about all of you <laughs> and is trying to bring the best content in the best ways. So, no, kudos to you for for sharing people's messages that are that you find worthwhile. Thank you, PJ. I You're I'm back. trying, and a lot of it is now. I've been writing about the why, and mm-hmm. I always like everyone to start with your why, kind of like the overview of what it is. Absolutely. Well, and so, yeah, I'm a father of three little girls, and I don't know if it's even a little cliche or too much to to identify your why as a parent, but I dug into a lot of the stuff that I went through as a child and what I want to see in the world. And something I've, when I became a father, and I'd always wanted to be a father, was I wanted to raise confident young well, ladies, as I figured out, <laughs> once they kept coming along, um, I wanted to raise confident children. And when I tried to think about why that was so important to me, I just went back to my childhood, which is exactly where values start. You learn your values from your parents. Uh, you learn your values from your teachers. You learn your values from your communities and the environments that you grow up in. And in mine, I had some incredibly loving people. Um my mother and father included, but they split when I was seven years old. Oh, wait a minute. And just stay with the why because you and oh, I are sure. going to go I into deep. I'm getting it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, only, it circles back. Because I really want to go into your, your background and everything gotcha. a little more deeper. Sure. But I, I just love when you, that why that, you know, you shared with me. It was just so beautiful. It, it's helping people find that confidence. I want to do that for the world. And whether that is, uh, the leaders that I work with, but even more so the kids that I work. I want I want people to understand why they do what they would do so that they can live with more purpose in life. And for me, that purpose is to live with courage and critical thought and kindness. Oh, and I wrote that book about defining it. I should have talked to you before. It's like you're everything <laughs> I've been wanting. It's like, that's it. Why are we here in the first place, you know? Oh, gosh. And, and the more times we can ask those questions, the more clarity we get on it. And once we get more clarity, you've got two choices in life, live on accident or live with purpose and choose to live with purpose. Well, sometimes accidents help us find our purpose. <laughs> oh, frequently. I make them. 
the goal is purpose, but accident ha- accidents happen a lot on the way. Ah, well, you know, I was looking at your, there was a short overview you had on the background of you, and I'm just going to read it because it's, it's so cool. And then we can go into more detail, but it said, PJ is American by birth, Belgian by marriage and global by choice and lives just outside of Brussels with his wife and three daughters. I mean, you're all over the place. And <laughs> physically and mentally sometimes, Barbara, yeah, both, <laughs> both areas. Well, the thing you told me that I, I want to go back to your childhood because um, I was amazed when you told me you lived in 13 houses before you were 13. Or 16, yeah. 16? Was... Oh, 16. Still 13 houses. Still, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe what happened? Why did you move so much and what happened to you? So my father had a very specific job in logistics and he worked for IBM. He worked for Western Digital. And I think that early on in our lives, he was still trying to find his place. So born in New Jersey, moved to Hollywood, Florida, moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, and everywhere we'd go, we'd live in a place before we'd live in a place. And then his job just took him. He he traveled so much when I was younger. It, it, sometimes we'd move with him and sometimes he'd just be gone for three months at a time. So then we moved to Camarillo, California. Then we moved to Irvine, California. Then we moved back to Fort Lauderdale. Then my parents split up. And then my mom uh, had a blind date with a man from the same hometown as she was from, which is Jamestown, New York. So we moved back to Jamestown and then several houses in Jamestown. We just had this nomadic lifestyle and it really shapes someone in how you, how you live the rest of your life. So I'm grateful for it. I mean, well, it's just like you told thing. I'm trying to remember it because it was a story you told me that um, you had incredible teachers along the way, but there was one that stood out with you. Was it, oh, um, it was Mrs. DeMarco? DeMarco, that's the one. Mrs. DeMarco. Mrs. DeMarco, when I first moved to Jamestown, New York, I here's, a, here's what I love about moving around is that you just get to reinvent yourself all the time. And that's something, uh, quite frankly, people struggle with when, you know, they grow up in one neighborhood, they grow up with the same friends and families all around. And say you do something stupid or you are just like this and you're put in a box. And people don't let you get out of that box. They say, no, that's who you are. And that's, they'll make fun of you for it, even if it's in jest. Um, and sometimes it's not. And some of the people that I was hanging out with in Florida weren't the best of people. They may have grown up to be nicer people, but it, it was, there were some bullies. There were, I mean, we just did some not nice things to people. And it wasn't dangerous ever, but it wasn't kind. And so when I moved to Jamestown, New York, I wanted I wanted to be a kinder version of myself. I wanted to be around people who were like that. And Mrs. DeMarco put me at the same table, at the same desks as um, a guy named Jacob Kathman, who is still one of my best friends and of just one of the nicest guys who comes from one of the nicest families who, quite frankly, they shaped my values at a young age, even more so than I would say my own father. Um, and yeah, and she, she saw something. She said, look, I, I think these two are going to be good together. And she was right. And that's just a good reminder for me to reach back out to her and share what impact teachers have, especially on the new kid coming into a school and making them feel welcome. They shape lives. 
Well, luckily she saw the two of you because you could have been with someone that didn't work out. You just, right. she, she knew she could just tell, right? <sighs> That's amazing that you're still friends. I, and honestly, I don't talk to a lot of people still from high school, but we still keep in touch. We visit. We actually have a running bet uh, because he's a Bills fan and I'm a Dolphins fan. And whoever wins that year, we have to visit the other one. So <laughs> <laughs> I owe him. I owe him. I owe him a couple trips. But yeah, love it. Uh, still keep in touch. Has he come to Belgium? Oh yeah, oh, and okay. he's the goddaughter of, or sorry, the godfather of one of my girls too. So uh, we keep him. You started traveling. After high school, was it after high school or? Yeah, I, I dabbled in university. Ah. <laughs> after high school, I, uh, I pursued some studies, didn't like it. And my dad said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I want to travel. And he said, okay, you've got two options. One is you can join the Navy. <laughs> and the other was you could join Up With People, which was a traveling, an international traveling musical that also taught young people leadership skills. And so I s- started traveling in Up With People doing musicals. Oh. And that was in 1998. I did that for two and a half years before going back to university. So, and then just traveled more. Like, <laughs> yeah. like oh, I already kind of jumped around, but that just completely upped the ante in my lifestyle. Well, you are also probably... Because you just don't go into Up With People without having a background in some kind of singing or theater, right? You had some in high school. Or- yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of people, actually, oddly enough, there's a lot of people who who do join Up With People who just want to travel. But now I, I was in uh, high school theater and my family was in theater growing up. My sister loved to sing and dance. Uh, my cousins, my aunt, well, they were all in the performing arts and so I was just kind of like a mouse on the wall for a while. And then I was like, I, I could do this. I, I want to I try this too. That is so cool. So yeah. you've been a lot of places, but you've been in Belgium a long time, right? Yeah. It's weird. Like now, now I've been li- living in this house for 13 years and I even had five years before that. So 18 years altogether in and around the Brussels area. Wow. What made, like, I know you told me all the places you went and you met your wife. Where did you meet? Mm-hmm. Where did you meet your wife? I forgot about that. Yeah, here at university. So um, I was traveling a lot with people. And as an American traveling abroad, uh, you learn a couple of things. The first thing you learn is you know very little about the rest of the world. And the rest of the world knows a lot about America. Really? And so they would ask me all these questions about, at the time when I was traveling was Bill Clinton, uh, scandal started with Monica Lewinsky and everyone had an opinion on it. So they would always ask me about all these questions. And then we get into the actual politics of America. And I just didn't know. I just was not educated. And then a lot of my preconceived notions of the world came from my limited education in America and what I thought that I knew. And I had one incident where my I just, I went into complete culture shock, like not, oh, this is fun, like eating fish in the Netherlands culture shock. I mean, body shut down, started shaking, started crying what? in a room. What was it? I, I'll give you this summarize. We, we had a panel of uh, speakers coming to us to talk to us about uh, unified Germany. So we had three from the West and we had three from the East. And this was in 98. So the wall had come down ooh, what, nine years prior to that. 
And so I was like, this is awesome. I can't, I, I already liked that period of history and I couldn't wait to hear about this success story of how communism fell and the iron curtain came down and, and how these people started to live their lives and get along. Nope. What happened in that was that you found out there was a ton of animosity between the West and the East still nine years later that the East, uh, they said that they didn't want to be liberated. Mm -hmm. The West called them lazy. The East called them capitalist pigs. I mean, it was so disturbing because from our side, like what we learned in America, it was everything about communism was the root of all evil. Communism was the opposite of democracy. Communism was, was everything. And you heard people say it wasn't. It wasn't what you guys made it out to be. And then from that yeah. perspective, I was like, are you kidding? What do you mean you weren't happy that you were liberated? How does this even work? Isn't it interesting? Well, I'll, just, I'll just give you a little history of me. I, in 94, I went to Russia and I lived in a city called Troisk, which was the city of scientists, and lived with a family who tried to explain to me, because that's 94, that's only five years after, the, how awful capitalism was for them. They weren't prepared mm -hmm. for it. He said, I don't have work, so I don't know what I'm going to do. The state-run building may not last here. Where will I go? Right. And I'm sitting here going, I was so confused, just like you. And exactly. I also saw people from outside of the country coming in and trying to it's like, I don't know how to say the mafia, but it seemed like they were taking advantage of people. Oh, you could say mafia. Yeah, it just seemed like it. And so the capitalists were coming in to sell them. At that time, I was talking about computers. And they were selling these crappy old computers for exorbitant prices that these people couldn't afford. And I'm sitting here yeah. watching it thinking, going on? You know, just like you said. But you were That's four it. years later or five years later than me. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, if still you were in, you were in Russia, I was just in Eastern Germany, but and it was mm -hmm. been nine years, but still there was the roads that the tanks would go on. I mean, you saw all of, you saw all of it, like the building the infrastructure hadn't been built up yet. Yeah. And then we just expected these people to just switch to a completely different system. And in our minds, in my mind, I'll speak for myself. It was just viewed as this incredible success story about how freedom triumphed over communism. Well, it hasn't, and it's still a problem now. And what I it noticed, I'm in this city of scientists. They didn't have roads. It was still dirt. Right. I mean, this is... Yeah, only the tanks Only the tanks had roads. Everything else I was... I mean, I was like, wow. And bicycle. I mean, the thing that got me the most was when I needed to use the restroom in the train station, my friends goes, no, you don't want to go in there. <laughs> it was a hole in the ground. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, they're not, this is, why are we so afraid? I mean. <laughs> right. Well, and that was, that was the moment in my life. I said, there's a couple things changed in that instant on that day. And I remember it so vividly. And the first was to say, I want to study politics and I have to do it outside of America because it, it had nothing to do with Americans. It just had to do with the limited perspective that I was receiving and I needed to learn more around the people who lived in other systems, you know, and lived in other countries and cultures. And that brought me to Belgium. That's where I met my wife where we were studying the same thing. Uh, and that was 2001. 
Oh, oh, wow! And then look what happened in two thousand one. You might, I oh, would have loved I, to hear I was what like you. The week before that, it was really, like, I was here when when that happened on September eleventh, and it was. Isn't it amazing when oh, you can watch oh. the world outside? Because it's like we're sheltered; we don't know what's really going on. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, that but there's that duality. Amazing. One is being on the outside, and the other is wishing you were home to be around. Oh yeah, all the things which. Yeah, we could have a whole different conversation on this one, but wow, we yeah, we're going a, way off track. Time. But it's so I mean, that's how I knew it was gonna happen with you and me. Um mainly because it's it it's like living in another country, raising your children there, speaking different languages. I mean, it's we don't know because we don't teach languages like any other country. We we don't prepare our kids for the the world. It's just because you found that out when you started traveling, right? Sure. Well, and and quite frankly, it's we'd like to say it's one world. It's not <laughs> like and you find people. I mean, shoot, I went to my first university was uh, Bowling Green in Ohio, and I had a guy there who I was I was rooming with who had never left Ohio. Yeah, it's not that big of a state, and yet it's bigger than Belgium. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you know, and and so there's. Ah, yeah, again, a, a whole other soapbox that we go down, but yeah. It's a whole nother time. We're definitely, well, that's the problem. After reading your life and talking to you, I said, how are we going to do this podcast? There's so much I want to talk about, but okay, let's go on. You got, right. you moved to Belgium, you got married yeah. and you had your first child. Tell us. Yeah, Alexandra. Oh. Well, and that was uh, with my wife and I. We we got married in the U.S. After university, moved to the U.S. I started working for the Washington Post for a bit and then found an entrepreneurial organization, a nonprofit that helped train leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners. And I specifically, when I moved back to Europe, I worked with all of the entrepreneurs in Europe, Middle East, Pakistan, and Africa. And at that time, that's when we started having kids so i was i was on i was on the road as like that often maybe maybe a week out of the month and um <laughs> that's when we started started having our family here in belgium you never told me you know we talked already you never told me <laughs> like worked, so many things to i say. know that you worked for the washington post and I, I mean but i'm i'm sitting here going your life story is amazing and that's why your book is amazing. And that's why your story is amazing. And that's why we just we just had to talk about it. And your wife is not is from France. Oh no, she's Belgium. Belgium. She's from Belgium. But she, she just speaks French. But, oh, she speaks French. Yeah. Okay. So you met her in school. Met her at university, yeah. And um and yeah, so Belgium, uh the south half of the country speaks French, the north half speaks Dutch, which is just uh yeah an insane cultural experience to have here too. And we live right on the border. So you go down one exit and they're all French speaking. Don't try to speak Dutch there. And everyone, like my neighbors are all Dutch speaking. Oh, how do you do this to talk to your neighbors and the kids in school? And I quite frankly, so I, I don't speak Dutch. I can get by in French because that's what I studied at university too. And my wife's family um, speaks French, but Dutch speakers are great at English. And quite frankly, my business is all in English. And Brussels is the capital of Europe. So they don't, most of the companies here, most of the organizations that I work with, 
they're all they operate in English because they're so international. So you know, I get if it. If any now. Belgians are listening to this, I was like, I don't have to learn Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> but so it is like, kind of interesting. There's too many languages. But some people can pick them up really fast. I can't. I oh my gosh, not not this guy. I know it's my just, kids. Your my kids wife. are doing well. You your your wife is teaching them French, right? And you're teaching them English. Are they yeah. speaking Dutch? Oh, that's their primary language is Dutch because they learn that in school with all their friends. Like their first language is English, or oh, sorry, is uh, Dutch. Wow, they're going to be trilingual, yeah. or at least trilingual. The at least, I mean, they, we'll see what they decide to learn in in school too. So, how you have how many children and their ages and names? Three little girls. Uh, Alexandra is, is twelve. Emmeline is ten, and Josephine is six. Oh, the names are beautiful. Thanks. Wow. It's hard picking names across languages. I was <laughs> It's so funny. I have a great niece, Emmeline. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a rare name. It's not that popular. I know. I I it's was gorgeous. when you I said that, it. I went, "Oh, I'll have to tell my niece that." That's so cool. I I just yeah. love it. But you were saying that you you wanted to be that father and yeah. parent that raise kids that ha- understand the value that and values and live on purpose. Yeah. You, how do you, how did you do this and how did it come to lead this movement of yours? Yeah. A lot of, <laughs> I talk about doing things on purpose and so much of my life is on accident. Um, <laughs> the way that it was going was I was traveling around doing a lot of values based leadership workshops with these entrepreneurs and one of the things that I learned was in talking to them about what where their values came from was that values are established at a young age, not rocket science. It was just something that I learned along the way. <laughs> and, and these successful leaders who were also sharing their failures with me, uh, they talk a lot about failure and what you learn from it, which is what we should be doing as leaders. Um, we were having these conversations about values and discovering values and defining values and acting from your values. And the conversations I was having were with these leaders who were 30, 40, 50 years old. And I was like, well, how come if we know, if we know that values are shaped at a young age, why is it the first time that we're trying to discover what our values are is when we're 30 or 40 or 50 years old? Why can we not look at a child and look at us as parents and parent with a little bit greater intention to say, these are the values I want my child to have. And therefore, if I understand how the values are shaped, I can do that with more intention. Ah. So then at that time, that's as soon as Alexandra was four and Emmeline was two when I kind of had this click. And then I said, okay, well, what? there's There's so many values out there. What do I want to teach them to be? And then at that time, I didn't, I didn't take a lot of time to think about it. I just thought of what I was tired of in the world. And the first thing that I was tired of seeing was people using fear to control others. Mm. And you see it in politics and you see it in media and you see it in teaching and you see it in parenting. Like we make kids afraid, not just kids. We make people afraid in order to influence them. Mm. So I said, I don't want my kids to be to be influenced by that fear in that way. I want them to be brave. Right, that was the first one. The second thing I was lack of, I was tired of seeing was everybody walking around like zombies in front of their screens, 
just digesting any bit of information that would come their way and not questioning the source and not questioning the why and not asking those terribly important questions to understand something. And so for that, for me, I said, I want my girls to have critical thought. I want them to ask questions. I want them to be smart. And I'm doing air quotes right now as smart (laughs) because it's not defined as intelligence per se. For me, it's more of a curiosity. It's more of problem solving. It's more of being a seeker that that's what I want to teach them. And then the last one was, I'm just tired of seeing the lack of kindness in the world. And even, even though there is an, there's an abundance of kindness when you look for it. And again, in the news headlines, in the worst places and situations, if we could just show each other a little bit more respect, a little bit more empathy, if we were curious instead of judgmental, I mean, how many of the world's problems would be solved? So those was those three things. I said, I want my girls to be brave. I want them to be smart and I want them to be kind. Wow. Um, and yeah. It, it, and for me, I was, it just like, it felt so natural. It was just like, it's like I had been thinking about it my entire life, but I had never phrased it. And then as soon as I decided to, I did. Well, the thing that's interesting is that you were working with adults and leaders yeah, uh, and leadership trainings and leadership. Did you bring up those ideas of brave, smart, and kind in the leadership trainings or did that just that's exactly what I'm so it was kind of like I took all the stuff I learned about leadership uh-huh. I tested it out on my daughters like they were guinea pigs in an experiment oh, I don't know if they like <laughs> so that so far so good <laughs> I'm not telling them that part okay of that, um, but no I would come home and I was like if I if I think this about leadership how can I apply to this in parenting and then that's how it started to work but then what happened is I would go back into my leadership uh, workshops and then I would explain oh, hey, everybody, this is my view of values. This is the framework that I have developed for my kids about how we succeed, about how we fail, about the filter questions that we ask each other, about how we prioritize values and decision-making processes. And I explained it and I said, I want you to do this as leaders. Let me explain to you how I do it in my family. It's brave, smart, and kind. And I would tell these stories of brave, smart, and kind. Well, then weird stuff started happening. Then these leaders who, you know, you run in similar circles, like you see people again and again in Mm -hmm. different places. I would do these seminars. And then a year or two later, someone would come up and say, PJ, we put your Brave Smart Kind stuff into our family. And now we love it. It's working so well with our kids. Thank you so much. And I was like, wow, that's great. Wait a second. That's not what the workshop was about. (laughs) The workshop was for you to find your values. I was just explaining to you mine so that you could have yours and, and live from those. And they're like, no, but yours works so well. We're going to do that. And then what happened was teachers started picking it up. When was without, that? Without, uh, because that, that, that was uh, huh, 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 2000, what, what year is it? <laughs> it's 23. <laughs> it was pre-pandemic. So it was 2020. Or 19. Uh, 17 or 2019. 18. Yeah. Wow. When the first teacher picked it up because I was doing some sessions, um, uh, some online stuff. And she called me and she says, or she texted me and she said, just so you know, I'm doing Brace Smart Kind in my classroom and the kids are loving it. The parents are loving it. It's re-energized me as a teacher. I was about to quit and I don't want to anymore because I love teaching these kids about values. And I was like, wow, what a coincidence. I do Brace Smart Kind too. And she's like, 
Yeah, I know. I learned it from you. And I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you didn't have the book out then, or did you have your book out? No, the book just came out in November 2022. So that's what I I know, but I just like, yeah. this teacher no, could this was, see it. She could, because what you did. I, <sighs> teachers are amazing people. Amazing, amazing people. And they're always looking for ways. And that's why they're, they should just all win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> I know, I agree. They look for ways. They look for ways to say, I want to be a better teacher. I want to impact these kids' lives in another way. How can I do that? And they're look, they're grasping for these things. And, and they found it in BSK. And I'm so grateful for Michelle Sable is her name. For, um, she teaches in Newton, uh, Pennsylvania. And still she's doing, still does BSK every year. And now we have more and more teachers. Now we have teachers in seven states that are putting BSK into their classrooms. And we coach them up in that to how we can help them. But that's the thing is I'm not an education guy. I'm a leadership guy who dabbles in <laughs> education. And I'm, I'm learning as I go too, because I'm telling teachers, tell me what you need. And if there's one thing that I've gotten from feedback from teachers, well, there's plenty, but one of them is, People have stopped asking what we need. People have stopped saying, how can I support you in what you do? And from a BSK angle, we're doing that. And they they respond to it because, A, they need the support. And BSK gives them some language and some tools to help shape these young lives of theirs, you know? I know that you're doing this all over Europe, right? And other countries too, right? The leadership stuff I do, but the educational stuff so far, be, probably because it's all in English. <laughs> like oh. that's that is in the U.S. strictly right now. There's families and there's families that are doing it all around the world, but from an educational and teacher side, the only ones I've heard of so far are in the U.S. Oh wow! So they have to get your book because it's. I mean, just reading it with your stories and it's just you know you touch the heart because teachers are. They're in, it's a crucial time right now because we are losing teachers. We are losing administrators. We're losing people. And mainly they didn't know how to teach during COVID. And then now they're back and kids are disenfranchised there. They use the word learning loss instead of saying, wait a minute, what do you know? Let's try to find and go for the positive instead of the negative. And let's move forward because this was a worldwide pandemic. You're not alone where they feel alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I love your strategies. It's just, can you just kind of give an, like about the book, why you wrote it? and Sure. I, and it started out, I mean, I guess I had been writing the book for eight years and it started with, as soon as I had the idea, I just started writing journals for my daughters. And it was, it was nothing more than I wanted to document how they were shaping me as a dad and why I was doing what I was doing and, and the lessons that I was learning. And then, you know, you write in the journal and then you write a LinkedIn article and then you write a sticky note that stays on your wall for years. <laughs> I still have those. Like Seriously, I could point the camera around my office <laughs> having those. And then it just, it started to develop in just, I had all these documents in so many different places. And then parents started coming to me with their stories. Teachers started sharing their stories. And I was like, oh, I need to, I need to capture all of this. And that was it. That's, and then I just sat down for a couple months, <laughs> collected all the notes, saw what I missed, uh, 
got an editor to help out. And, and yeah, so it took eight years to write the book. It wasn't consecutive. I'm not that bad. <laughs> but it was a process. But, they, but now that you're in eight states, I mean, I want teachers to know about the BSK movement and the book. And um, they talk about kindness, but they need a, how do I fit this in? How do I do it with kids? And, you know. Sure. Yeah. And that's and that's what we outline. And, and I, I shoot, I'll give away the secrets over and over again as often as I can is the first thing you do is you define things for people. And, and here's the thing, it's going to change from a kindergarten class and it's going to change into a fifth grade and you can go all up into high school because again, we teach this to young leaders around the world already and established leaders is the first thing you have to do is be able to just to define your values. But here's the magic. Let me, let me blow your brain for a second. Or maybe I'm giving myself too, too much credit. Um, <laughs> I've got lists of values. I mean, lists of like 300 different words that you could say, this is my value. After I started teaching the girls Brave, Smart, and Kind, and I was going around talking about values with leaders, I started to look at these lists. And there was one day, I remember, I was sitting at my desk, and I looked through, and I could put a B or an S or a K next to every single value, because there's not a single value in this world, at least if you know it, PJ Brave, Smart, and Kind, email me, there's not one value that isn't about how we overcome challenges, about how we critically think and about how we treat others and ourselves. Every single characteristic boils back down into brave, smart, and kind. And you can go through, the first place that I noticed this was, uh, it's gonna sound silly, but I was watching the classic movie channel and Wizard of Oz came on, and, and Dorothy's going down the path and the three characters that she meets, the cowardly lion who wants to be brave, the tin man who wants to have a heart, and the scarecrow who wants to have a brain, I know. I was I was thinking of that too, because it's like weird coincidence, and it's not. And this is the thing: you start to notice it everywhere. And I mean, I started noticing it in the in Harry Potter. It, there's actually quotes in Harry Potter that very specifically talk about being brave, smart, and kind. Toy Story. He's describing his friend. He says, "Woody, he's brave like a cowboy should be, and he's also smart and kind." Like. There's so many different places in the world started showing up. And then you start looking at stoicism and then you look, start looking at Confucianism. And then you look at all of these things. And Confucius said the three moral qualities of man are courage, compassion, and wisdom. And you're like, ah, ah, thank you, Confucius. Maybe that. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing is we've been underlying these values in storytelling and in uh, religion and all the places that we've grown up finding knowledge. And because Brave Smart Kind is at the root of it, I say that I accidentally stumbled upon it. I think my brain was just pre-programmed through all of my experiences to say, as soon as I wanted to point out values, Brave Smart Kind popped up. So here's the beautiful part is with kids, if you're, if you're teaching kids out there, whether you're a parent or you're a teacher, or you're an aunt or uncle or grandparent or whoever, Find out what their brave is. Find out how they specifically overcome challenges and talk to that, that persona, talk to it in that voice. Recognize how amazing kids are at overcoming challenges. Find their smart. And it's not necessarily going to be their grades. It could be creativity. It could be perspective. It could be wisdom. There's so many different definitions of smart find their smart and make sure that we're talking to them about that because the world tells kids they're wrong all the time. 
recognize when they're right, recognize how their brain works. And then as soon as you recognize what someone's amazing at, you know what happens? They want to be more amazing at it. They try. So instead of saying, you got this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this, you weren't smart, you weren't brave, you weren't kind. We don't, I don't talk in the negatives like that. I identify what it is. I define that for my kids. And then I help speak to that voice and then find out how they're kind. Are they empathetic? Are they sympathetic? Where do they extend their kindness to? How do they treat friends? How do they treat themselves? Because once we establish the language with our kids, they start using the language and then they use it outside of them. And then it starts to spread. And as soon as we can teach people to speak from their values, they become a very authentic version of themselves. That's not ashamed of who they are. They can grow up confident and that confidence Ideally, we go spread that around and help other young ones find theirs. So, ah, everything you just so said. So it goes. <laughs> no, I, I, I have to, you know, pull this all together. But you did it. You put it all. What people needed to hear was those strategies and going to the positive and looking at, you know, looking at kids in a brave, smart, kind way. I and anyone anyone you're dealing with that way. And I just, Gigi, this has just been beautiful. You, you actually, I'm writing down, you notice I'm writing down all these things and (laughs) I don't have to, I got the, I'm going to have the podcast and everything, but um, we're going to put a blog post together with all of this information, but I want Mm -hmm. everyone to know how to, since you're in Belgium, you know, how do they reach you? What are some ways to connect to you? Sure. Well, and I, I visit the visit. I, I go not only for vacations, but for I'm working with some schools in the US as well. And so so I jump back and forth between Belgium and America all the time. So if uh the easy way is literally Google Brace Mark Kind. That's we've got we're all over the place. Uh social media, go to the website, putting videos up on YouTube. Um, and here's what I'm what I'm really interested to do is connect with other other, like I'm one, connect with educators, uh, whether it's teachers or administrators to say, look, if what one of the things is that you're questioning is how are we raising our kids to be, not necessarily just to learn, then we've got a lot of different exercises and ways in which you can do that through. And it's not necessarily a curriculum. It is a theme of the year because guess what? Teachers are already doing a lot of the things anyway. It's not to create work. It's to understand the framework that you're working in and then help give you some more language, especially to use with parents to write homes. Because if we hit attack this at different angles and kids start hearing one united voice in, it matters how you overcome. It matters how you critically think. It matters how you treat people. Well, then they just see it as this is the world that we're, that we're living in right now, you know? So, yeah. So, oh yeah. So sorry, website. <laughs> you're right. there's plenty of ways to connect. So LinkedIn, PJ Brady. Well, you know what I'm going to do, PJ, is we're going like put all the contact information with some links to your book and links to the, you know, the, you did it. I think you did a Ted talk too. Not yet. Any, if anyone needs, needs a Ted speaker out there. Oh my gosh. You have to have a Ted talk. Come on, Ted talk. We got to get you there because you, you know how to reach all different all different groups of people through the BSK, you know, foundation and, and the way you're talking is just, it just grabbed me. I am sitting there each time going, I got to write that down. I got to write that down. So no, this has been an unbelievable 
time with together on my virtual porch. I love it. <laughs> I like I like sit on your virtual porch. We need like a swing and some coffee. And oh, I got coffee, and we can just pretend we're swinging. <laughs> Wine, whatever time it is. Yeah, I don't know whatever. What time it is on the virtual porch, but <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as we can continue talking. This is great. So thank you so much for spending time with me. This has been wonderful. All right, sincerely appreciate it. Sincerely appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with PJ Brady. If you got this far, I knew you would find our talk about his story and being brave, smart, and kind amazing. I hope you share this podcast with your friends. Make sure you check out the blog post PJ helped me write on my website, barbabray.net. You see, that way you can access all the resources he shared, including his book. It would be awesome if you subscribed to my podcast. And I'd be really grateful if you wrote a review. You're welcome to subscribe to my website at barbabray.net to receive updates, resources, stories, and more podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story. And please, Stay safe and be well.